Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to another day of Tori Says. Okay, so today is going to be pretty, pretty, pretty exciting for you guys because you'll be the first to understand why this Epstein case was sealed, how it was sealed, and you know what? How Secretary Acosta had no power over these decisions. Everyone is targeting Acosta. Everyone is saying he didn't do his job, but I'm going to tell you why he couldn't do his job and why he had to, mm, I would say, comply. And see, the president hinted on it by saying, well, you know, uh, what you did years ago doesn't mean you're the same. And I've said that before. Who you were yesterday uh, is not who you are today. But he said that in a sense that maybe he could have done something. But I'm going to tell you, I myself, and I'm sure many of you have been in a position to witness, to um, almost be involved, but without actively being involved, let's say passively involved in something that was atrocious, something you saw and said, this is incredible. This should not be happening. I want to speak up. But you can't. Why? Hmm. Many reasons. But I'm going to tell you the clues we already have that everyone missed. And I'm not going to say how. Well, no, I can say I have really good sources. <laughs> I always do. This is how I am able to bring to you things before it even happens. So I'm going to walk you through what happened and what was going on in parallel and how this POS called Jeffrey Epstein uh, was able to operate and conduct such atrocious things uh, globally against children. How morals have dropped. You know, it's really hard to take down a system that has been around for thousands of years. And I'm going to make note of that. This organization has been around for eons. But... Not Epstein. Epstein is just, you know, a pimp. A pimp with a lot of money and a pimp that made a lot of money. And we're going to talk about at a later date uh, how he made that money and how it involves key players. Now, uh, before we get into that, because we're going to talk about that in the second hour, I am going to walk you through everything. There's not going to be one thing that we're going to miss. Okay? Not one. We're going to go through it step by step. I'm going to walk you through how the case came to be, how it was done, what Palm Beach um, police were saying, how they felt about it, everything. So 
Where do we start? Again, let's look at our leader because today is July 10th, 2019. It's the 10th of July. Where did summer go? Hello. I mean, in just 20 days, I'm going to be in South Carolina to watch my baby graduate um, Army boot camp as a uh, private first class. Uh, That's how she entered before she heads off to her specialized training at the same place I went to in Arizona. So um, it's going to be, it's, it, I mean, this month has just flown by. And this week, like I said last week, will be extremely explosive in regards to how fast things are happening. Because it's like, boom, boom, boom. It's as if now justice is in a Ferrari. I've already said many, many times, and I think all of you can agree, justice is always limping across the floor and is always coming in on a donkey. But right now, we just got upgraded to a Ferrari. And even though a lot of you feel discouraged with um, having General Flynn being put in as a co-conspirator, it's all fine. Don't worry. Because we have to pay attention. What country was he operating in? Ah, Turkey. We'll talk about that next week when it's more, mm, I would say, current. Uh, that is something different, but it's perfect. So let's look at to what our leader has been tweeting about this morning uh, and what he's been telling us. So his first tweet of the day was, our company has grown since Trump has taken control of the White House and the presidency in the sense that we have better opportunities now to do what we've been wanting to do for quite some time, and that is to create manufacturing jobs. I believe that President Trump has done a great job of reducing crime in the African-American community because more African-Americans are at work today. Trump is not a racist. He's a businessman. Because he is a great businessman, he's pushing for lives to be better. This, is, uh, this was a statement uh, from the CEO of Hydromatic Tech, Michael Brown. And indeed, that is the way it is. Now, before we get to the next tweet, I'm going to skip right over it um, because we're going to get back to that. Uh, We're going to talk about the retweet um, that he did. And it was Mark Meadows tweet, which said, reminder, not only are prominent Democrats calling to decriminalize border crossings, every single Democrat on the second debate stage raised their hand to support providing free health care to undocumented immigrants. This is Democrats supporting open borders. And he then retweeted Jim Jordan's tweet, which says, first, a 10-month investigation by the FBI, then a 22-month investigation by special counsel, but the Democrats continue their fishing expedition. But listen, he's right. All they're going to do is probe, probe, probe. I mean, right now, President Trump's businesses in New York have the AG so far up their tushy. You know, the AG can call themselves part of, you know, their intestines. That is how far in deep they are. But see, this is what corrupt politicians do. When they don't have anything against you, they go looking for it. Because if they find it, they'll discredit you. They'll do whatever. They want you out. They want to take you out. They want to shut you up. They want to make sure you don't have the strength to even breathe. This is how they operate. So it's no um, mistake there. Um, 
Let's see. He then uh, tweeted, Iran has long been secretly, I said this, didn't I? Iran has long been secretly enriching in total violation of the terrible $150 billion deal made by John Kerry and the Obama administration. Remember, that deal was to expire in a short number of years. Sanctions will soon be increased substantially. Now, enriching. Enriching what? Uranium. I've already told you that Iran has been enriching their uranium and the enriched uranium is being sold by Turkey. Mm. Just think, Flynn, Turkey, Iran, enriched uranium, Turkey selling uranium, Turkey selling gold, Turkey selling arms, Turkey harboring the orchestrator of the Benghazi attack. Ah, this is all going to make sense slowly. Slowly but surely it'll come to fruition. Now he retweeted a video that I'd like to play for you. Take a listen. If there's one thing we've learned, he's not afraid to go it alone. And he does what he thinks is right. That's called having the courage of your convictions. And despite some hoping he fails, and America fell along with him, he just keeps fighting on. You see, he didn't get in this for pats on the back, the attaboys, or to make friends. He got into this to make America great again. And all we're capable of. And boy, is he. Not just the strongest economy in decades, strongest in the world. And he's made sure we're all sharing in this new American dream. And that we're keeping our promises. And instead of getting sand kicked in our face, we're now, once again, leading from the front. A swagger in our step. Respect from our allies. Fear from our enemies. President Trump has a phrase for all we've accomplished. He calls it just a start. Okay, so that was an incredible video uh, that indicated just how he is striving for everything, pointing out how he is going against the grain and not worried about going in at it alone. That's important. He is going forward alone. Now, uh, before I head to his next tweet, I wanted to tell you something. Yesterday, I told you about the ambassador to the UK, Sir Kim, right? Sir Kim Douchebag, how he, there were intercepted cables, how he was talking about the White House climate being like a knife fight, you know, a lot of backstabbing and everything. But I'm going to tell you what, the fact that he disinvited him, which I mentioned yesterday, to the uh, meeting with the Emir of Qatar was very telling. And I've also said that the president of the United States has every right to decline any appointment of ambassadors from foreign nations. He has every right. He reviews them and he's checking them. Now, I want to tell you something about Sir Kim that I hinted about yesterday. Now, aside from the fact that he finally formally resigned today, like I said, he would, he'd be out. He was part of this orchestrated Russia coup hoax. But I'm going to tell you something. These intercepted cables, 
they weren't just about, oh, he's like this, oh, he's like that, or talking smack about him. Because you know every single ambassador has something to say about every other single leader where they said, I'm sure our ambassadors that are sitting in countries like France and Germany, you know, if I was the ambassador of the U.S. and France, I'd be calling, you know, um, uh, Macron, a, a geriatric, you know, lover or something. I would be totally, you know, calling this. Uh, remember, he's also a co-prince, right? This royal, uh, this miniature royal, this tiny, disgusting little human being that, you know, married his elementary school teacher. Okay, that one. I would be totally talking smack. It wasn't about talking smack. It was talking, these cables had issues of what? Intelligence leaking. This is the problem. See, when we have ambassadors appointed to us by our allies or our non-so-friendly countries, remember their embassy is like their soil. So if you step into the United Kingdom's consulate, you know, and you're in there, it's as if you are on British, you know, the United Kingdom soil. If you run into the Malaysian embassy, you are, ergo, on Malaysian soil. That's the way it works. So this guy resigned. I'm telling you, he was force resigned for his actions. And this is what happens when we have a president that is very serious about leaking, very serious about espionage. And that is a big issue for us right now because we have people within our own government that conduct and act and purport in ways that can be interpreted as espionage. We could talk about Diane Feinstein meeting with Iran. We can also talk about the fact that Ilhan Omar, we all know, met with Erdogan, right, before her, her um, elections. But what if I told you that on that day that she met with Erdogan, the head of care met with Erdogan and Iran. I would bet money on it that Rouhani, Erdogan, the head of care, and Omar probably met. Now, we only have proof that she met with Erdogan. We have proof of all the leaders that she met with there. Uh, But I'm just saying there are a lot of people that are committing acts that can be fairly interpreted as espionage. We could talk about John Kerry. We can talk about a lot of these individuals, like maybe Obama, what he's doing overseas and how he's talking, but okay. I'm dropping the word espionage because wait till you hear the next hour when we talk about Epstein. Wait till you hear what really, really went down with that sealed indictment. Because everything, the mainstream media, and you know what sucks? We have a bunch of political pundits out there that go on Fox, that go on OAN, that go, you know, have podcasts, that tweet, that talk, that are on this, you know, corrupt Blaze TV. Uh, You know, CRTV used to be great, but you know... Blaze took over, so forget that. Um, they all supposedly have knowledge of the way the government works. Obviously not, or they're purposely not telling you. So here's a tweet that the president sent out about an hour ago. Word just got out that I won a big part of the deep state and Democrat-induced winch hunt unanimous decision in my favor from the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth 
circuit on the ridiculous emoluments cause. I don't make money but lose a fortune for the honor of serving and doing a great job as your president, including accepting zero salary. Now, I've talked about the case that they have against him saying that because he has businesses, he's getting bribes from all these countries and he's making tons of money. And the fact that he's going to his resorts rather than other resorts, you know, he's making money. So in essence, because he's going to Mar-a-Lago to have meetings or going to New Jersey or whatever, uh, that this is how President Trump is enriching himself. And I said it was BS. I said it was a far-fetched thing. I did. Because at the bottom line, what did I say last week? If you are a public servant, you should not be making top dollar like they are now. All of these, Congress, Senate, right? A public servant is only interested in serving the people. And that is exactly what our president is doing. He is serving the people of the United States of America. And why does he pick his clubs? Why does he pick his hotels? Because he can trust them. Because he can control and knows every facet of it. He knows if anything is bugged. He knows where there can be leaks. He knows what's private. He knows the ins and outs. That is why he chooses them. And that is why I'm fine with him choosing them. And I'm fine with them getting money as opposed to the Marriott or the Hilton or whatever other golf club other presidents would go to. Because it seems like a regular MO. Every single president goes golfing. Ergo, everybody keeps wasting money. But, you know, it's just a big deal when President Trump does it. All right. So, What I thought I would start with is, mm, let's start with Tucker Carlson. So I tweeted out this morning an article that's found on lauralumer.us where Alicia Poe wrote an article about how Tucker Carlson pretty much summarized the problem that we have with our refugee migration programs. This is something I feel very strongly about. And like I said, in my state of North Dakota, I am going to be putting forward and I'm going to be finding the right legislators to make it illegal for a organization like Lutheran Social Services to operate in my state because not only are they importing masses amounts of Somalis, but they're also importing unaccompanied minors from Somalia. So this is insane because we're having a really big problem in this state. And I want to emphasize something. When I was reading in to a few things in order to formulate this bill, I found that in 2009, some Somali migrant organization that is now like the Muslim coalition or whatever in Minnesota had claimed that they only had like 80,000 Somalis in the state of Minnesota. Well, if you look at it now in 2019, they're claiming the same thing. And I'm thinking, "Mm, so this was like over 10 years ago. So you're telling me that 80,000 came and you're still at like 83,000 now? That doesn't make sense. So the question here is, why aren't they telling us how many of them there are? Hmm. Interesting. Hence why we need this question about the census. So anyway, let me play this clip from Tucker Carlson, who so eloquently and perfectly said what everyone else is thinking. Buy into our values and thrive. We call it the American dream and nothing makes us prouder. It was in that spirit that in 1992, the United States welcomed 10 year old Ilhan Omar and her family 
Omar was born in Somalia, one of the world's poorest countries. It was then ruled by a Marxist military dictatorship. When Omar was six, she and her parents and their six siblings fled a worsening civil war and wound up in a refugee camp in Kenya. They spent four years there until America offered the family asylum here and let them settle in Minneapolis. Omar's father drove a taxi at first, then got a job at the post office working for the government. Omar, meanwhile, grew up free in the world's richest country with all the bounty that that implies. She became a citizen, then went to work at a state university. A few years later, she became a member of Congress, elected by voters who were proud to see an immigrant succeed. Omar is now, at the age of only 36, one of the most powerful women in America. It's an amazing story, really. Only in this country could it have happened. Elon Omar has an awful lot to be grateful for. But she isn't grateful. Not at all. After everything America has done for Omar and for her family, she hates this country more than ever. In a recent piece in the Washington Post, the reporter put it this way, quote, In Omar's version, America isn't the big-hearted country that saved her from a brutal war and a bleak refugee camp. It wasn't a meritocracy that helped her attend college or vaulted her into Congress. Instead, it was the country that had failed to live up to its founding ideals, a place that had disappointed her and so many immigrants, refugees, and minorities like her, end quote. If anything, that's an understatement. Amar isn't disappointed in America. She's enraged by it. Virtually every public statement she makes accuses Americans of bigotry and racism. This is an immoral country, she says. She has undisguised contempt for the United States and for its people. That should worry you, and not just because Omar is now a sitting member of Congress. Ilhan Omar is living proof that the way we practice immigration has become dangerous to this country. A system designed to strengthen America is instead undermining it. Some of the very people we try hardest to help have come to hate us passionately. Maybe that's our fault for asking too little of our immigrants. We aren't self-confident enough to make them assimilate so they never feel fully American. Or maybe the problem is deeper than that. Maybe we're importing people from places whose values are simply antithetical to ours. Who knows what the problem is? But there is a problem. And whatever the cause, this cannot continue. It's not sustainable. No country can import large numbers of people who hate it and expect to survive. The Romans were the last to try that with predictable results. So be grateful for Ilhan Omar, annoying as she is. She's a living fire alarm, a warning to the rest of us that we better change our immigration system immediately or else. We want to end tonight with some good news. Last night we told you about Ed Henry and his decision to save his sister. Okay, so Ilhan Omar, she loathes the United States. She loathes everything we stand for. So why is she here? Why is she serving in our Congress if she hates us so much? Now, I wrote up an article that should be on lauralumer.us shortly about uh, what the Somali immigrants in Minnesota are doing right now. So it seems almost crazy, but almost every year since Amazon opened up one of the largest fulfillment centers in a suburb of Minneapolis, um, Shakopee, that they're staging protests. So it opened up in May of 2016, and the first protest and filing, you know, against Amazon was in 2017. So not even, it was in April of 2017, so not even a year into it, all these migrants have jobs. They make up more than 30%, 30%, it's close to like 38% this year, actually, of the workforce there. 
are constantly complaining. And what is their complaint? That they don't get time to pray. So this happened in 2017. They filed this. They complained. You know, they wanted this, that. So Amazon gave them, you know, prayer rugs, etc. In 2018, a huge protest happened uh, around Christmas time because as Ilhan Omar put it, having them package Christmas presents for others is, you know, demeaning to them and they should be afforded rights in our nation and, you know, have these accommodations. Now, what are these accommodations they're asking for? Prayer time. So what did Amazon do? They said you get 20 minutes of prayer time that you can use that is going to be paid. If you need more than 20 minutes during your shift to, um, you, oh, wait, during those 20 minutes of paid time, you can take for prayer, but your daily quota has to be met anyway, because we're paying you to pray. You better just work double time to make your quota. Well, here's the deal. They um, also offer them more time to pray. So they said, listen, if you need more than 20 minutes uh, a day to pray and you need like, I don't know, two hours of your work day to pray, it's going to be unpaid and we'll adjust your quota so you don't have to rush or feel or get docked and get fired because you can't meet it. Guess what? That's not what they want. They are demanding that they get full paid time to pray as they wish, have proper prayer rooms, and they should be treated differently than other employees because their religion is one that doesn't waver and adjust as times do, like the Christians and the Jews apparently have changed their religion to adapt to the evolving uh, society, but they haven't, which means you know their religion is very strong and firm, and so they must stand strong and firm and demand that they be Offered the same rights as they are in their hometown. How crazy is that? They've asked a court to chime in and have Amazon create more prayer rooms and give them paid time off their workday to go and pray. Ridiculous. Why are they so special? Why can't others' religions do that? I'll see you all in just a bit after this short break. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Okay, and welcome back to the Tory Says Show. Uh, I'm your host, Tori. Again, always remember, I'm here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern Time, where you can listen to me on digital through your computer through TalkStream Live or our free Red State Talk Radio app or on your airwaves uh, wherever you may be in your car, in your bath, in your home, at work. Uh, I appreciate your listenership. I appreciate everyone that listens and responds and sends me emails. I love it. Now, moving on with the Ilhan Omar thing, I just wanted to say their new strike is next week. So this is the third year, third consecutive year that they are protesting. And this time they are demanding that they get special treatment, that they be treated as individuals and separate to other employees because they are, and in their terms, special. Last month, no, two months ago, uh, the New York Times reported that they even filed a federal lawsuit at another Amazon fulfillment facility in Seattle by three women claiming that they're being treated unfairly. Just to break it down so you guys understand, uh, And from people that I interviewed in Minnesota that responded, and I was kind of like shocked, but I had it played off or else they'd stop talking, right? Is um, they believe that they are entitled, okay? That they're entitled to prayer time. That in their countries, as it was explained to me, they have dedicated prayer rooms and everyone has the opportunity to go and pray. And you know, when they pray, they have to take off their shoes. They have to wash their feet. They have to wash their hands behind their neck. For the men, the women have to wear a specific, you know, white covering, you know, so it does take time. It's not like they can go sit down, you know, like other people do in church. So what they want is that they want all the times that they have to take off to pray paid. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm hired. I need to follow my works rules. Well, here's something that you've never heard of before, and it's going to be breaking on lauralumer.us today. I found out something called work halal. Halal is a term that they use to describe something that is, um, 
uh, I don't know, Islam approved. Okay. So if you look at some packages in the supermarket, even, um, Walmart has it now. And I told you guys about an encounter with a guy where I was looking at lamb and it had the halal sign on the back. Halal is basically, it means that it's allowed under Islamic law. Well, guys, there's actually a website called workhalal.com where all Muslims can go and find jobs that cater to Muslims, that give them the pay time off for prayer, the prayer rooms, everything. It's called work halal. I, I, I kid you not. So this is basically what they're striving to do. They're striving to create legislation to force all employers across the nation to abide by work halal, which means that they need to provide or an environment where it is a permissible and acceptable under Islamic law to work. This is incredible. Now, this is a problem. Okay, this is a big problem because, you know, I'm I'm Greek Orthodox. We have church every day, unlike other Christian faiths that only have, you know, Sunday services or whatever. We legit have services every day. And when it's a holiday period, you know, for a religious event, we have services every single day and twice a day. So like, for example, Holy Week, which is, you know, the week prior to uh, Easter Sunday, we have services in the morning, services at night. And then on Thursday, we have midnight mass. And then right after that, you know, Friday morning, we have, you know, mass and then in the, in the afternoon and then again at night and then on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and then midnight mass all the way to Easter Sunday, uh, 2 a.m. on Easter Sunday. And then we go back. So it's like fully packed for a Christian faith. But do you think my employers, you know, will pay me this time off where I'm going to work an eight hour schedule and say, okay, so from nine, from eight to 10, I, you know, I'm going to come to work at 10. I'm going to come in and work a little bit. And then I'm going to skip out at 1230 because I got a one o'clock mass. I'll be back at three, but then I got to leave by 430 because I got to catch my five o'clock mass and my employer is going to pay me doing that. No. So what do responsible people do that want to observe religious, you know, holidays? They put in for leave. They put in for paid time off, right? They put in for vacation or they put for unpaid time off. That is exactly what I do. And for my children, if I want them to observe it, I will send notification a week or two earlier to the school and say, these two days, you know, for the most pertinent, because I can't have them off school for the whole week, right? My children will not be in school because they will be observing Greek Orthodox uh, Easter. This is what responsible Americans do. I am an American citizen. I was born and raised here. Culturally, I'm Greek, right? My parents were both legal immigrants that both became U.S. citizens, you know, uh, and they raised me with their culture, kind of like Somali Americans, uh, you know, that were born here and then raised, were raised with Somali culture. Now, those first generation immigrants should understand assimilation, right? Kind of like, you know, Greek Americans do. They understand I'm an American citizen first and my culture does come in, but I'm not going to impose it on other people. See, I'm not imposing it. I'm not making them create laws, you know, and take people to federal courts because they don't accommodate my religious observations. That is wrong. They're accommodating to students to take time off 
off without being dinged for it, I guess, um, you know, and not making it illegal. Uh, you know, obviously you can take unpaid time off work. No employer will deny you to take time off work unpaid to observe anything religious ever across the nation because that is indeed discrimination, right? And they can't hold it against you. So what are these, you know, people asking for they're not asking for the right to take time off to observe no they're asking to get paid time off to observe so as an employer you will be obliged to pay them while they're taking time off to pray how is that even fair why would i even hire you if you know you're being paid for 10 days 10 hours of work a day but you're only working five Oh, because it's work halal. You have to make accommodations because my religion doesn't. And their argument is Islam has never changed throughout time from the minute it was established up until today. It has not wavered to accommodate, uh, accommodate Western, um, you know, uh, nuances or social, you know, developments or anything. We are strict. So you have to make laws to allow us to enjoy our Islamic law. This is why it's important every single state across America pass legislation state legislation that Sharia law will never be imposed in the United States that is a second bill that I will be bringing up in my own state I will be putting it together because there were a couple of states this year that tried to pass such thing and they were called you know racist etc I'm going to use and demonstrate what is going on to Amazon as to why we need this because If we have, you know, Muslims working within government, right, police force, you know, uh, you know, just bureaucrats, you know, at your secretary of state, your insurance commissioner's office, whatever, on a state level, we're talking like government workers. So our tax money will be paying some guy or some gal for 10 hours of work, but they're only going to be putting five hours because we're obliged to pay for them to pray. No, uh, state uh, and religion don't mix, right? And it was never intended to not allow free speech for it, right? Let's make that dis- that, that dis- you know that distinction. It just means that religion can never govern, um, you know, state guidelines. It can never govern state guidelines. Like, like if the laws, the older laws of Christianity were applied, that you know, in order to marry, you know, someone, you need to give them two cows. You know, we're not allowed to make that law because that's a Christian thing, I guess. You know, I'm just making that up Uh, but it is actually true from the old testament right there was something like that but anyway so kind of like sharia law that says you know you can choose your your wife from the age of nine that's never going to be law here we're never going to allow it and raping your wife will never be allowed and that's something that i stymied in my state i made so much noise when they tried to slip in you know verbiage that would cover muslims which was you know if a husband rapes a wife he's still entitled to the child you know um because it's not really rape because they were married what uh, no, it is. Under Islam, it's not. Under anybody else and in any other universe, it is. So we need to be, um, you know, focused into understanding these things. And I urge all of you in your cities, in your states, to push your legislators, your local legislators, to put these things forward. For me, I find what they're doing and using the court systems in these crazy circus courts because it's been filed in Washington. It's been filed in Minnesota for them to create work halal laws. Uh, Work halal doesn't apply here, man. If you want that, go to Malaysia, go to Brunei, go to Iran, go somewhere else. Work halal does not apply here, period. 
So that is uh, something incredible. Now, as you know, tomorrow there's a social media summit at the White House. Now, there's some really weird juju going on. So all these people were invited, but then they were suddenly disinvited too. Now, a lot of people... Um, you know, obviously when Jack was invited, but then disinvited, it wasn't because we don't, we really don't know. It's because the, the media got a list of all the people that were going. I don't know how it leaked and they were calling them all Nazis and what they've been saying. And they were pointing out, you know, how the White House aligning with them is racist or a bigot. So they like disinvited a bunch of people. So it makes you wonder, what do you care what the mainstream media says? You could just turn around and say, hey, mainstream media, you're the one covering up for a pedophile mm. you're the one that commits crimes you're a domestic terrorist nobody cares what you think the world loves them and they are coming so uh, you know my suggestion is yeah it's great to have this white house summit for social media but what it should have been is um you know kind of more of registered um Republicans or people that have registered with the Trump campaign as supporters that are social media influencers to have a mixer for them. And it can be sponsored by the Trump campaign rather than the White House. And in that, you know, mixer, you know, members of the White House can be there. Like Dan Scavino, who's so cute up close, seriously. Like he looks way different uh, up close than he does on camera for some reason. And I, you know, I hate the way cameras make people look because they make them look larger but for some reason you know he's he's made you know I don't know I'm just gonna leave it there so my idea is a mixer from you know a lot of uh for investigative journalists independent journalists would be way better that was uh sponsored by the Trump campaign so that way all alternative media all influencers in whatever pocket of media they have can get together at a campaign sponsored event so it wouldn't discriminate it would say all of these you know alternative media uh, people can come and that way we can have members of you know his cabinet on his social media team or whatever come and have discussions pocket discussions or discuss things uh, because the media right now are the Nazis they're the ones that have a problem they're the ones that are attacking and uh, everything and in any way shape or form they can uh, related to President Trump now I wanted to uh, play just a little bit about the executive order that our president just signed today um, that was introduced uh, by the Secretary of um, Health. Take a listen. Of the Department of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar. Good afternoon. Good afternoon and thank you for joining us here today. It's a privilege to welcome so many patients to Washington for an important announcement about advancing kidney health in America. I'm especially excited for this announcement because my father was on dialysis for a number of years. I saw how burdensome kidney disease can be and how important it is to give patients more options. I'm also excited because today represents another important step in President Trump's health care agenda. He's delivering American patients the affordability they need, the options and control that they want, and the quality they deserve. That means historic steps to lower the cost of care, cut drug prices, and put Americans in control 
through disclosure of real prices for procedures. It also includes taking on some of the most stubborn challenges in American healthcare, problems that have gone neglected for too long, including drug addiction and our focus today, kidney disease. President Trump is not content with a healthcare system where millions of Americans receive costly, burdensome treatments when better options are possible and available. He wants better care and better health for all Americans. That's why it's such an honor to work for him and to be here today. So it's my pleasure to introduce to all of you the 45th President of the United States, Donald Trump. Okay, so before he speaks, I just wanted to say I haven't um, heard this yet. Uh, I have not listened to it because it was live right before I started my radio show. But I want to tell you, you guys all remember that Melania Trump was in the hospital because she had a problem with her kidneys, right? So I don't know if he's going to, you know, say that or make that statement or say why it's so close to him. But, you know, kidney disease for everyone to know is a, a really big problem, especially for those that are diabetic since we have an epidemic of diabetes, but also for those that have heart disease because a lot of the blood pressure issues and concerns uh, for those patients are their kidney function. So let's take a listen to what the president has to say, who is making strides in healthcare. And just a reminder, the courts uh, just last week denied him the right to demand that drug companies that advertise on TV have to advertise their prices too. So the Trump administration attempted to force drug companies to depict the prices of their drugs during their crazy commercials and they're so cheesy right um you know so people are aware of that uh, so that was a fail uh from our courts to disallow something like that i mean even burgers when they're advertised like oh just 4.99 or look at these shoes just you know 29 29.99 so why can't your you know drug that's being advertised and shoved down your throat for 1 minute and 30 seconds telling you how you know they can cure you of IBS not tell you hey a 30 day supply will cost you xyz money so let's take a listen Thank you very much, Secretary Azar, and thank you for everyone being here. Please sit down. Let's enjoy it. It's much better. You'd rather sit, right? <laughs> but today we're taking groundbreaking action to bring new hope to millions of Americans suffering from kidney disease. It's a big deal. I want to express my gratitude to Secretary Alex Azar, Secretary Robert Wilkie, who's here. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Secretary Eric Hargan. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Nice to see you. Administrator Seema Verma, who's so outstanding, done such an incredible job, and Director Adam Bowler. Thanks also to Senator Todd Young. Where's Todd? A young, great senator. And Representatives Michael Burgess and Matt Codright. Thank you. Thank you, fellas. Thank you very much. As part of our commitment to ensuring great health care for every American, my administration has already launched many bold initiatives to battle major diseases and save American lives. 
We are aggressively confronting the opioid, fentanyl, and drug addiction epidemic, and that's what it is. It's an epidemic, but we're making tremendous strides. I think you're probably hearing about it. We'll be talking about it very soon. It's hard to believe we're making tremendous strides, very tough situation. We're working with Congress to develop a $500 million investment in new treatments and cures for childhood cancers, and we've launched a campaign to end HIV-AIDS epidemic throughout America. We think that within a fairly short number of years, like 10, uh, we will have that epidemic totally under control. And if you would have said that two years ago, people would have said, there's no possible way. Hi. (laughs) He's even happy. To give critically ill patients access to life-saving cures, we passed Right to Try, something I'm so proud of, where people that are terminally ill or very, very ill can go and see their doctor. And when we have something in our pipeline, and nobody has a pipeline like the United States of America, we have the greatest technicians, doctors, labs in the world by far, and medical research, we can get them a possible cure. We give them hope. It's really hope. It's right to try. I love the name, but it's hope. So instead of going to Asia, instead of going to Europe or wherever they may go in the world, they go all over the world. They go to places you've never heard of if they have money. If they don't have money, they go home with no hope and they die. And we now have the right to try so that if we have something that's five years off, but it's looking good, they sign a piece of paper and we give it to them. And you have no idea how incredible some of the results are. We've had some people, one young woman in particular, it's so, so incredible, the results. People that were expecting to die are living. And Alex and Seema, it's been, uh, that's been a tremendous thing, the, uh, the results. Not only is it a wonderful thing in terms of knowing how a certain medicine or possible cure works, but it's incredible to see the results. We've had incredible results. So we're very proud of Right to Try. They've been trying to get it for 44 years. More complicated than you think to get it. A lot of people didn't want to have it, but uh, we got it, and it's something we're very proud of. Now, with today's action, we're making crucial progress on another core national priority, and that's the fight against kidney disease. In 2017... In 2017, kidney disease was the ninth leading cause of death in the United States. Kidney health affects families throughout America, and those who suffer from kidney disease experience a significant toll on their daily lives. I've spoken to people. They say the work is so intense, the time is so enormous that you spend, and uh, it's, uh, it's like a full-time job for people. Sometimes the work itself, I was speaking to Alex, he said the work itself, it's so intense, the work kills people. It literally kills. You have to work so hard for these patients, their loved ones, and for the impacted, all those impacted by kidney disease. I'm here to say we are fighting by your side, and we're determined to get you the best treatment anywhere in the world. And we've made a lot of progress. We're with you every step of the way. 
In a few moments, I'll sign an executive order taking vital steps to increase the supply of kidney-available transplants. This action will also dramatically improve prevention and treatment of this life-threatening illness while making life better and longer for millions of Americans. It's a tremendous thing that's happening. Roughly 100,000 Americans are currently awaiting a kidney donation. Every day, 10 of our fellow citizens die waiting. Many, many people are dying while they wait. We'll do everything we can to increase the supply, and we'll be able to do that in very substantially in terms of the available kidneys and getting Americans off these wait lists so they can lead a full and healthy and happy life. That's the best answer of all. That's why my order supports the selfless individuals who donate kidneys by granting them reimbursement for extra expenses associated with organ donations, such as lost wages and child care. All right, so that's huge because one problem that we have is that people want to provide kidneys, uh, you know, to their loved ones, to friends, or that are found on registers and say, you know what, I'm healthy, I'll give you my kidney. Why not? It'll help you. You may have a chance at life. I will do it, but it comes at a burden to them. It's as if the health system doesn't want people to get better. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but all the evidence points as such. It's extremely expensive. You weren't allowed to try experimental treatments. You know, for autism, there is actually experimental treatments that are successful, that are being conducted outside of the United States by using stem cells and not stem cells of, you know, random people, but your own stem cells that they can pull out and reintroduce to your system. So there are so many experimental treatments that for some reason we are unable to uh, get to uh, specifically one that I was talking about the other day with someone is I always I, I was devastated that I can't get a flight to Cuba now because in Cuba for a dollar you can get a vaccination you can be inoculated against small cell lung carcinoma because it's a very specific type of cancer for your lung um, it's very rapid but it also can be something preventable. We're not allowed to have that in the United States. And the question is why? Just like we're not allowed to have vitamin C infusions. Uh, we are not allowed many, many things that, you know, make the intentions of our, I, I would say, government questionable as to rights to access of such care. I'll see you all in just a bit right after the short break, and I will break down what happened during the Epstein trial back in the day with much detail and to tell you how it wasn't Acosta's fault. And it actually was above Mueller's prey grade. I'll get to that in just a bit. Have a wonderful break. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, 
foreign and domestic. Unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. All right, so... This hour, I am going to tell you why Epstein's case was sealed because everyone is missing the elephant in the room. First, it's about timing. Okay, what was going on? What happened? Second, for some reason, people seem to think that Acosta is a problem. Acosta did what he did. Acosta is to blame. Everything Acosta, 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 right? That is basically what the mainstream media is trying to do by trying to say, see, they're not attacking President Trump. They are in no way trying to link the president to Epstein in any way. None. Which is shocking because that is what we expected. And it's probably because a lot of them uh, <laughs> are in a lot of trouble. Now, they know why it's been sealed and they know why they are just throwing everything at Acosta and saying, oh, my gosh, the president hired someone that allowed someone that's a pedophile to get away. And what does it say about his standards and how horrible is he? Listen to how they interviewed uh, Kelly and Conway about this. Take a listen. To think that people who uh, treat girls that way and touch them, oh, and on. I guess, rape let me them. back this up a bit. I think it's appropriate. There we go. I would go back to who the perpetrator is here. His name is Jeffrey Epstein. I know a number of you really didn't care much and don't care much now to discuss what went on in the Oval Office, or I guess what's now the dining room when we had a different president here preying upon a different teenage girl so we can actually revisit that if you want but let's focus on the people who do these uh, to do this to young girls oh here we go it's important to understand do you think a 13 month do you care that I'm a mother when you do oh, you me, care that I'm a mother I, I when did, you say I, things I that my kids read do you and I do ask those questions to President oh. Bill Clinton so I, I, I do say that I, I, I'm equal in my questions that I give to individuals who represent the president as a mother, do you think it's appropriate to give a 13-month prison sentence to a sexual predator, someone who preyed on young teenage girls? Do you think that's an appropriate sentence? Well, you're asking me as a mother. I want people who touch young girls uh, the way I see these allegations now. I've not seen the other indict the 53-page indictment in the Florida case. I certainly read, as I hope all of you did, the indictment yesterday in New York, and these fresh charges in New York are very tough to read. And you don't have to be a mother. You don't have to have a teenage daughter, although I do, and it sure helps to think that people who uh, treat girls that way and touch them and, I guess, rape them, um, it looks like rape them, um, should have the full effect of the law be brought on them. And I think that's the whole point of the New York charges. Uh, This is a different state, different set of charges, different jurisdiction. And if Jeffrey Epstein, based on these charges, never sees the light of day again, I won't shed a tear. Okay, so I just want to point something out. So the media keeps saying underage girls. They need to call it what it is. Children. Secondly, they're asking her as a mother. What do you mean as a mother? As a human being, any human being, adult human being, our priority is what? To protect children, to foster children, to allow them to be protected in this shroud of protection and let them live a free and, uh, you know, amazing life. We have people. 
that are sitting in Congress right now, that are sitting in the Senate right now, that are in the Pentagon right now, in the State Department right now, in the Department of Justice, in the FBI, and in the central agency that all have violated such moral lines, right? So here's the question. See, they're pushing the question back as to what kind of person is Acosta allowing this to happen? Let's remember, when did this happen, guys? Who was president when it happened? Oh, wasn't it Barack Hussein Obama? Yes, it was. And who was senator, senator at the time? Think, who was the senator of New York at the time? Hillary Clinton. And then think of it this way. After the Senate, who became, you know, our uh, Secretary of State? Hillary Clinton. Timing is everything. I mean, it would be detrimental if Bill Clinton's name was put out in the media while she was a sitting senator sitting on guess what have you guys seen all the committees that hillary clinton as senator sat on have you all the committees have you seen them because that is what you need to take a look at to see that there's a going theme uh, of what clinton would do uh, when she would use her position her committees were what that of the budget money of course but she only stayed there for two years Committee of Armed Services. She stayed there until she became Secretary of State. So she was talking about, uh, you know, emerging threats and capabilities. You know, how much you want to make a bet she was selling secrets and doing things. Ooh, look at this. Nuclear safety, clean air. Talk about Uranium One, right? You know, Green Deal, transportation, super fund of environmental and environmental health, right? You mean the money sucker called climate change. And then the last one is children and families. That is the most important one for me. Children and families. So while she was on, she was senator, right? She was senator. All of this was playing out. We couldn't have her, you know, because she was running too, if you remember, against Obama, remember, Um, you know, but she lost the candidacy. We couldn't have this. This had to be buried, had to be buried and guess what Obama buried it for her how so let's take a little short trip to 2016 what agencies were mobilized wait a minute let's put it this way Peter Strzok was he just an FBI agent no he wasn't he was central intelligence right central agency central intelligence agency which i only call central agency that disgusting organization that was created in the 40s to subvert everything that our country stands for yes so he was part of the central agency okay so during the obama administration this was allowed to be buried now here's what everybody is missing okay aside from the fact of timing Okay, because we've got timing. So when this was first brought up, it was all about timing. The police chief report, if you see it, pretty much details out how they conducted a sexual battery investigation that involved Epstein, Haley Robson. Haley Robson, I talked about her in my article. Look at her picture. I showed you that now she is nowhere but on porn sites. And I only put the soft porn sites on my first article. Look at her face. She was a young woman who was swayed into this lifestyle 
and underage, right? So she was a child when he grabbed her. Look at that innocent photo in my article on ToriSays.com. She's at the bottom of my write-up where I put a link so you can see what kind of life this girl was groomed into. She's now on porn sites. She's doing porn for a living. This child that had everything going for her was robbed of her innocence because Sarah Kalin brought her in. So there were sworn taped statements from five victims and 17 witnesses which discuss unlawful sexual activity at Epstein's place in Palm Beach. Many of them were brought to Epstein's place by who? Haley Robson, you know, the girl, that child that was recruited that is now doing porn. You know, like I've said before, his victims, his sex slaves, his children, he took children that some of them were still losing teeth. The ones that he had were recruiting others. I've said this before because my witness that was executed by the police here about the trial trafficking rings here in my state told me that when you age out, your job is to recruit and you start recruiting before you age out when you're too old for them to enjoy. Your job is to bring more of these children in. So this is what was going on. This is how it started. This is how this investigation started into Epstein and it was a sworn taped interview. Now let's just listen to something else Kellyanne Conway says before we go forward. Um, but if you're if you're if we're going to do that as a mother, as a woman, as a ba 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 with me, then do it all the time because a number of you have kids and I know their names. I don't lord it over you. I don't try to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, I could, but I don't, and I don't think that it restrains you from writing articles and tweets and saying things to each other and publicly at all. I think you've shown very little restraint to me as a quote mother. Yes, because the president knows that there's constitutional legal ground. The, the Supreme Court didn't issue a legal impediment decision. In fact, if anything, Chief Justice John Roberts said he left the door open and this president plans to barrel through it. Okay, so she went on another topic. I thought that that was the right clip where she was talking about how they were talking about who was involved and who's at fault. I just want everyone to know that these taped interviews were by Haley Robson. Listen to 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 this uh, in 2005, okay? Which makes her 19 years old at the time, okay? And she uh had um worked for Epstein from, you know, the 90s. She was born in 1986 and she was working for him in the 90s. Okay. 1986 to 1996 means that she's 10 in the 90s. So in 2005, how old is she? So let's see, in 2006, she would be 20. So she was 19 at the time that she was interviewed. She was aged out. She was the recruiter. And then her, um, a cousin of her, of 
someone's boyfriend and a classmate said that she worked for a wealthy guy and did sexual favors for him. So she was open and, you know, she had offered opportunities to her friends and family to make money too. So this is, this is a big deal. Okay. This is a very, very big deal because this is how it all started. It all started just into a battery thing. You know, someone was hurt. Uh, they arrived. They saw. They took testimony. So it was pretty incredible. Okay. They even pulled his trash. Okay. And, you know, um, found a telephone message for Epstein that Haley and so and so, you know, had left for him you know, for work or something like that. It was just really incredible. She would be paid for every service, you know, she would perform. This is how it started, okay? We're talking investigation, right, that was started by the police, okay? We're talking 2006, This is when Hillary Clinton was senator of New York. Think timing. Think who. Think what. Because this is all going to come and whiplash them. Because remember yesterday I told you something about the Clintons doing something. That is going to be the nail in the coffin. Now you're going to understand. It's not just about the child trafficking. That's just a global pimp. It's not about that because they really don't care about children. They really don't care about life. I mean, look what they advocate and look at what they do and look at what they mm, subscribe to in regards to faith. Okay, so it's not about that. The bottom line for corrupt, disgusting, immoral individuals like the Clintons and other people that are still sitting in Congress and Senate and in our federal institutions is money. And I am going to work so hard to bring this forward. This is so huge because when you see it wasn't just covering for Epstein because of what her husband liked to do or what she liked to do with little kids. It's not. See, that is just shocking. It's all about money because so many people will be implicated. We're talking judges, lawyers, congressmen, Senate, family members, businesses, banks. Everyone's going to go down because Epstein's got the keys. So then this investigation happens. They want to start prosecuting. And then the FBI sticks their butt inside, right? Who was it? Mueller, right? So he pops in and he's like, yo... We're going to work with the U.S. attorney. Now, now it's going to the U.S. attorney and this is how we're going to play. So they did what they did and they sealed what they sealed. Okay, they did. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, they sealed it. They gave him whatever deal it was. There were so many people that contested to it. The media helped drown out the noise. They did. They did. They drowned out the noise of what was going on and how it was going on. We're talking letters going back and forth to the deputy attorney general to approve, you know, uh, continued prosecutions, to approve things. You know, they had gone up the chain and you have to wonder, 
darn, what is going on? All of this is going on while the elections are going on. Remember, this is like May 2008. So we're like coming up to the 2008 elections. You know, DNC candidate needs to be selected. Clinton is in on this. All these strings are being pulled. And then, you know, Obama gets elected and everything just goes dormant. Everything just goes dormant and it's done. It's sealed. We're finished. Stop talking about it. That's the way it is. We don't talk about it. It's done. And even though people contested and went forward and said, uh, no, we need to get something done. You know, we need justice for these victims. We need to move this forward. They were reluctant to do so. Completely reluctant to do so. So it was a really incredible attack on our, I would say, on our country. So cases were then filed, you know, in 2009, all under cloak and dagger, very little, you know, uh, publicity, very little reporting during Obama's tenure, during the tenure of Hillary Clinton being the Secretary of State, a disastrous Clinton, you know, Secretary of State, right? Um and all of these new filings were happening in 2013. Uh, you know, so many filings were being done, you know, to hold him accountable by Jane Doe's, Doe's, Doe's constantly. I mean, if you see the docket list for Epstein, it's incredible. For me, I pulled that, uh, the docket list, not for the, not for the, um, the Jane Doe's or the male Doe's that filed cases, but for other stuff, which is going to be coming soon to the surface. So think about it. We've got the Obama administration smothering this case, completely smothering this case, making it disappear into the night where no one would be allowed to speak, uh, say, or utter any words, you know, cases being dismissed like nobody's business. I mean, in 2003, all these cases that were brought upon, you know, Jeffrey Epstein were all dismissed. There were like discharge, dismissal, no reason, other reasons, you know, none of your business reasons, because I've actually dug into a few of these and it's like, mind your business, uh, that's concealed. So people will say, all right, so what happened in this deal? Well, here's where it gets very telling. And I saw just during the break that Technofog online was putting it out and asking questions. So there was a decision, right? Uh, where a judge had said what um, there, there was a decision basically to um, analyze what the privilege log is. What is privilege? Privilege means that you're allowed to see something. You're allowed to access something. You are allowed to talk about something, right? Uh, kind of like your need to know or your clearance to access something. Keep that in mind. Clearance to access something is privilege. So um, there was a Jane Doe, J- Jane Doe 1, Jane Doe 2, and the case number is 08-Civilian-80736. Uh, it was in the uh, District Court of Southern, uh, Calif- uh, the, the Southern District of Florida where um, the Judge Mara gave an order. Now, the court had to give a supplemental privilege log. What does that mean? The court means it had to review all the documentation about the case. Okay. If you're reviewing all the documentation about the case, you would assume that if you're the victim, you have access to all the documentation of the case. In this case, the victims did not. 
Not only that, the discussion of the materials within this case that was sealed, that was, you know, done. He's not getting convicted. He's got a deal. He's got a deal. We're not discussed. We're not elaborated and we're never brought to the public eye. So one would say, what would constitute something like that? Because me, for my, for myself, I filed a lot of case, uh, you know, filings under seal, right? That means that it's not available to the public, but in court during session, you discuss it. It just means that it's not publicly available, like to pull the documents. That's all it means that there's redacted documents that you're not allowed to have access to it unless you're in the courtroom and part of the team. Now in the courtroom, you know, you can hear about it, but you're not allowed to have the documentation, right? So that's what, you know, filing things under seal. Now, when you file a whole case under seal, you can't talk about the, the, the materials that are there to substantiate the claims being made by the prosecutors or uh, by the uh, party. And in this case, you can't talk about anything that was discussed in regards to the plea deal that Jeffrey Epstein had and what the 53-page indictment was. So that is key. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking you step by step. So that was key. What you need to um, remember is the probable cause affidavit. So there was a probable cause affidavit for police case 05368 by the Palm Beach Police Department. Now, in that, we have him being charged with unlawful sexual activities with a minor, four counts of lewd and lascivious molestation. And it says from March 15 to 2005 through 2006, the Palm Beach Police Department conducted a sexual battery investigation involving Jeffrey Epstein, Sarah Kalen, Haley Robinson. Sworn tape statements were taken from five victims and 17 witnesses concerning massages and unlawful sexual activity that took place at the residence of Jeffrey Epstein on 358 El Brillo Way in Palm Beach. So this is the actual affidavit of probable cause. And in closing, let's see, I can't pull it up in closing right now, but he put down all the details of what happened, who it happened with and whatnot. So this is where they filed these charges before someone stepped in. This is publicly available, right? Publicly available. There was a 53 page indictment that was put together, but it was stapled together, right? And put in the same packet of the plea deal that was under seal. You remember with Jesse Smollett, how he had a plea deal in the back end for not going to jail and they sealed it. No one's allowed to see what the plea deal was. And they're like, nope, you can't see it. It was a plea deal between the government and Jesse Smollett. And the judge kind of let it happen too, which was super weird. And that was it. It's the same thing. Now, for Jesse Smollett, it was about who his aunt is and who supports him and what happened. That's going to come to public because they have no way of, you know, doing anything close to the nature of what happened here with Epstein. So the Jesse Smollett, that's all coming out because Jesse Smollett is not Epstein. Jesse Smollett didn't fly around on the CIA's plane. Did you know that one of the planes that Jeffrey Epstein would fly around with was registered to the CIA? What? So we've got a pedophile 
that can borrow airplanes registered to our central supposed intelligence agency. Yeah, you know it. Because here's the thing. If you actually look at call signs of some of the planes that he drove, that he flew with, having all these little children, and we're talking about a specific hop plane. He had a specific hop plane that he would take, and uh, that hop plane was registered to the Central Intelligence Agency. So one has to wonder who in their right mind, right, would give this man a plane registered to the Central Intelligence Agency. Why? Why would you give him such a thing? Why would you give him a plane with the Central Intelligence Agency? So that's clue number one. So if you read, uh, you know, there is a, um, uh, you know, a tag on the plane, right? And um, Epstein would take that. And it was part of the State Department and the CIA at the time that he flew with what had a sign of November 474 Alpha Whiskey. That was a CIA plane on its tail. That was the number. And, uh, you know, this is how you can identify it. So now, before we cut to the break, I'm just going to tell you one thing. The primary thing you have to look at in this case that I was telling you about that we're going to review from Jane Doe 1 and 2 in the Southern District of Florida is the court has conducted an in-camera review of the documents submitted with the most privileged most recent privilege log and it's has considered the government's privileged assertions as well as the petitioners previously argued objections to those assertions now after the break i'll tell you what that means in plain english and advise you of how things work in the intelligence community because one thing people aren't telling you is that this smells and this was under under lock and key for the central agency. And maybe this can be why we dismantle that horrific agency right now. Because we've got many intelligence community elements that we could tap into to ensure our national security. We don't need them. I'll see you all in just a few. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa. Play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219. Welcome back, everyone, to the final half hour of the Tory Says Show. So I left it with this phrase just before our break, which is the court has conducted an in-camera review. What does that mean? So I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation. Let's pretend I walked into a senator's office. I stole a bunch of paperwork and they caught me on camera. They see me on camera taking the paperwork and then they see me on camera walking over to a shredder and shredding it, right? They see me do this. And apparently, let's pretend that's a crime. So they see me taking this paperwork and then walking over to the shredder and shredding it. So suddenly, I'm arrested, right? And suddenly, I go to court for a crime. So the prosecutor, which is, um, you know, the the government, is going to say, you know, what Tori did, she went into this senator's office, we have her on camera, she walked over to uh, the shredder, we saw her on camera, walk over and she shredded all those documents that were very important. And my lawyer is appointed, would be a, you know, um, a judge advocate, you know, attorney, right? So I would have military attorneys, military prosecutor, right? And they would stand in front of the court and, and say that, you know, uh, what I did was not what they say. It was just blank papers. And they're going to be like, no, but we have the proof and here's the evidence. And, and they'll have all the evidence in the world they want. And so, you know, the judge is sitting there and he's like, well, you know, uh, I, I don't see how you have the evidence because the camera doesn't show what's on the paperwork. But here's the witness testimony saying that that paperwork that was put there one minute ago was this. And there's like 20 different witnesses that said it. And here's a copy of the paperwork. Here's their discussion about it. So like normally any logical person would be like, yo, she, you know, Tori did take those papers and they were the important ones. It wasn't blank papers. Yet my attorney is saying, nope, nope. They were all blank. Uh, you know, since there's no video footage, I mean, uh, I don't know what they're saying. It, you know, uh, she was just, um doing her job you know she was ordered to uh you know destroy these blank documents that she did but they weren't blank nobody cares so the prosecution 
right? The, the government goes to the judge and says, all right, stop. We need to see what's going on here because this makes absolutely no sense. I will give you the opportunity to take all the evidence and see it in camera. What does that mean? That means it will never be public record again after, you know, what is discussed in there. We can't discuss what's in there. And the judge will review it on his own and he will come to a conclusion and then make that statement. And you need to shut up. So as you're in camera, you know, the my defense attorney hands over paperwork to the judge and says, listen, she did do this, but, you know, um, she's a CIA asset and we can't have her go to jail. Uh, she was doing something that she was instructed to do by us. She committed a crime, but we said that she should do this. And so she is not going to be held guilty. Got it, judge. Judge says national security importance comes first. So I agree. And no matter how much, you know, I did what they did, the CIA said it was an importance and they demonstrated to the judge that it is national security that I stay, you know, um, you know, scot-free of any of these charges. I shouldn't register as a paper shredder, you know, uh, list, uh, nothing. I should be fine. And that's it should be dismissed. So the judge sees all this, sees the arguments that the CIA provided, documentation, asset, works with us, works for us, collects intelligence, you know, and in this case, the Central Intelligence Agency, the Central Agency, as I like to call it, keep in mind, doesn't collect intelligence. It creates insurance. Okay. Aside from it penetrating every single facet of our domestic government, it penetrates foreign governments in the shape of their students, their interns, their uh, priests, their nuns, their school teachers, their students studying abroad, their bartenders. They infiltrate everywhere. Because what? They gather insurance. All of them have these little jump drives. They collect stuff and they report back. So in camera review, he takes a look at it and then he comes back. Prosecution, which is, you know, um, you know, there doesn't understand what's going on. Nope. We got to take the plea deal. That's it. You know, I understand that we need to alert your victim. So here's my order because this plea deal, you can't see it. The indictment, you can't see because it was nicely done by the U.S. attorney, but this was over his pay grade. Again, I say it. Uh, so now I'm going to tell you what you're allowed to tell them. So you can produce out of everything. There's a lot that is protected from discovery by opinion, work, process product privilege who has opinion work product privilege i mean here it says produce the attorney client privilege does not apply as the fbi is not a client seeking legal services the investigative privilege does not apply as the government has not demonstrated that withholding the documents is necessary to protect an ongoing criminal investigation. So the only way that they could have protected some of the documentation was to say that there was an ongoing criminal investigation. And since there was no grand jury on in regards to the Epstein thing, there was no other thing, they had to advise them that there was a plea deal. Okay, this is this is where we're we're going with this, just so you guys understand it. This is how it it became and came to be. That's, that is what I'm trying to explain to all of you. That it was done in a process of how it can be released. It, the, this is all public information. Now, this decision was granted in 2015. Who was president at the time? It was Barack Hussein Obama. Now, ever since that order was done, 
that, you know, that there's no ongoing criminal investigation and to the extent the investigative privilege would apply, the petitioner, the petitioner's needs outweigh that of qualified privilege because it means that those victims, their need to know what went on is, you know, more so than this so-called privilege that the FBI can't prove and can't say that they were the client. Okay. So this is where the CIA steps in again. And now we have a delay. And why was this delay? What was going on in 2015? People need to be paying attention. Right. We had what? The presidential elections kicking off. Who was running? Hillary Clinton. You get it? So this was constantly being stymied, delayed, but suddenly, you know, people stop, don't reveal this, that. And everyone's thinking, well, who would petition the court to not release it when it was evident you should release it? Especially now that we have President Trump as president and Hillary lost a long time ago because this was very delayed, wasn't it? It was delayed because they had the Russia investigation. I mean, you know, but here's the deal. See, there's paper trail for all of this. Paper trail, paper trail, paper trail. So remember when I talked about judicial canons and how they were updated in March. Now, I've told you that a lot of judges on federal circuits will be waving goodbye to careers and we're going to get two from the Supreme Court stepping down. But what we need to remember is that these judicial canons will also come in handy when looking back on those judges that allowed or stymied or delayed uh, this, you know, unsealing of these documents of the plea deal of the initial 53 page indictment. See, the media is having a field day right now talking, Costa did this, Costa did that, because they know that even if it's revealed, it may be in a redacted form because they already know. They already know the names. And this is why they're not even attacking the president right now, because there are so many of them that are going down. So the question will come down is, you know, why? Was this being done? Why was he getting the protection of the Central Intelligence Agency? Why was he using aircraft that belonged to the State Department, to the Central Intelligence Agency to conduct such lewd acts with children? Why was this pimp allowed to do so? And the question, and, and that question can be answered simply. How did he make his money? How did he become rich? Who was he working with? Because his statement saying that he co-founded the Clinton Initiative, the Clinton Foundation, is not false. And I found evidence of what kind of business they got in bed with. And believe it or not, it doesn't have to do anything with children. Aside from the fact that Bill Clinton was selling out pimping services to, you know, heads of states across the globe and, you know, getting a few kickbacks, Epstein served another, uh, another purpose. He had a tried and tested method that the Clintons loved. He knew exactly how to get things done. And the thing is, when you've got... A government, and we're talking in the 2000s, okay? We're talking Bush era, we're talking Clinton slash Bush era comb over, right? When you've got a government that covered up 
for the government, that covered up for the banks, that covered up for their senators, their Congress. What would the people think? When you thought bank bailouts, when you thought, you know, all of these crimes where they robbed citizens of money, and I'm going to get to that hopefully next week if I can get it together and in order because I have evidence of what I'm telling you. When you can put that all in line, you see that Epstein holds the keys to the kingdom. And this is why he got this sweet deal. I mean, they had to do something, right? They had to like throw him in jail, but he was in jail, but he was allowed to leave the jail in the private VIP wing for so many hours a day to go to his office and work and then come back six days a week. So one day he stayed there for 24 hours. He had a kitted out suite. He had electronics. He had access to anything he wanted. He had a private chef feeding him. So he wasn't even like really in prison. It's just BS. And I highly doubt that he was actually present. Maybe they just said that was the deal. So that way, whatever. Guys, the bottom line is this was all about politics. And this is all about what keys and what cards he holds. Now, for us, the average people, on, on um, I, I'm just saying, taking it face value, uh, the rape of children, the fact that they would sell and buy and barter and use and dispose of and consume children for us seems infathomable. Like that is worse than robbing us blind, right? That is worse than robbing us blind. For you and I, that is the worst and most atrocious thing. But for people that don't have morals, the worst and most atrocious thing is being robbed. So I am telling you that besides the fact that we have this global pimp who had all these people in his pocket because he was running that uh, industry for them, that, you know, he was the supply for the demand they had, either that be for slavery, for death, for food consumption, for whatever they wanted to use them, experiments, organ donation, you name it, he provided. That isn't why they are panicking the most. The fact that they can be painted as a child predator, the fact that they can be put out into such a nefarious light is one thing correct, and I agree, but it's the money. Again, because they think in their terms, they don't think in your terms, because if they did, they wouldn't be treating human beings like this. They wouldn't be, uh, you know, supporting infanticide. They wouldn't be supporting abortion. They wouldn't be supporting, you know, lowering the age of consent. You know, their morals, they don't exist. This is how socialists operate. I mean, communists, if you ask them, and I think Reagan had asked uh, the USSR, you know, like, uh, what about morality? And they said, we don't operate in morality. Morality is a weakness. We operate as a government being God, basically. No one else. There are no morals. The morals are the bottom line and the monetary value. And this is how they operate. And once you realize that, you'll see they don't care if you call them a rapist. This is why clowns like Bill Clinton can come out and say, well, I didn't know anything or I never had sexual relations. They can say it with a straight face because it doesn't bother them. You can call him a rapist. You can call him a murderer. It doesn't bother them. And here's the thing. Now that Epstein is coming out, now that we're actually going to have and hold exactly what happened. And you, as you can see, our president is supporting him because he knows that the U.S. attorney at that time, who is he going to complain to? 
hey, we're giving this pedophile a deal because he works for the CIA. First of all, he can't even tell you that. Second of all, he might have not even had the privilege to know that. Third, right, who is he going to complain to, right? Who is he going to tell? The president? The president is in on it. Bush, the CIA, the DOJ, they're all in on it. So who is he going to tell? Who is he going to like report it to? Is he going to tell the media? Media is, the media is in their pocket. Who is he going to tell? I mean, the media is on the seventh floor, right? So who is he going to tell? Who is he going to complain to and say, I don't agree with this. This is really bad. Why do we have assets like this? And is he really an asset or is he doing other things for us? Why is he procuring children? Why is he transporting them? Why is he using our own federally funded planes for intelligence, for the intelligence community? Why, why, why? Acosta had all these questions and I'm a hundred percent sure he's already stated that to the president. And this is why the president said, well, you know, uh, people do things in the past and, you know, he felt like that was, a choice and didn't have one and you heard him mumble about it right that's because you can't even say he's a cia asset now i'm saying it but i'm not part of that case so i'm okay what are they going to do what are they going to do to me by tooting that horn i'm telling you the only time someone will review something in in camera is when it's so classified that it can't even be discussed in open court this is why this 53 page indictment they are fighting to keep it out of our sight and most likely will be provided in a redacted version i guarantee you that well I mean, I can't say I 100% guarantee because our president is really unpredictable. And if he wants them to go down, he will. And this is probably why we've got Pelosi's child coming in and chiming in on these things because, you know, they realize that, you know, the, the, the gravy train has stopped. And that we've got a president that may or may not just totally do it in and say, don't redact it. It's over 10 years old. Let's just do this. Leave it open. Let everybody see. Let the chips fall where they may fall, as she said. This is what you have to understand. This is what they are pushing. Now, on the other hand, I want you all to know that these people, these people are so atrocious in the morals, right? We've said this. They don't want you to understand what they're really trying to hide. So we've got the children, sex slaves, for you know they have them for organs for them to consume you know whatever but the thing is they are trying to change our morality as a country and i've said this before and you can quote me on it to keep america good we got to keep god in america because we can't have a, a country that has moral foundations without the notion of God, whoever he may be, faith. For me, it's, you know, my God. For you, it's another one. For someone else, it may be Allah, you know, Yeshua, whatever. You know, whatever. You need God to keep you in check. Now, they don't want you to know what exactly is going on, okay? They are funneling human beings from our southern border like crazy you have to understand why they're funneling the human beings from the border why they're pushing the human beings from the border and i'd already told you that infrastructure is a really really big deal really big deal but um what people fail to understand is 
this Epstein issue is not all about children. It's not all about, you know, the necessity of having children for whatever needs he was meeting. It's about money. He, yes, indeed, was an insurance collector because the central agency doesn't go out to really spy and get intelligence for national security. It's total BS, okay? They get insurance on other people. That's their job. Their job is to collect insurance on other people and then call it in when they have to. And who better than the global pimp with children to say, you you know, so-and-so, he likes to eat baby livers. Just a thing. Or so-and-so likes uh, little girls under the age of five, but over the age of two. This one wants to make sure that when you deliver the child, you take out all their teeth. He doesn't like teeth. Those are the kinds of things that they note. Because even one of the victims said that after she would have encounters with Prince Andrew, she was told to reiterate what he liked. And she reiterated to him that he had a foot fetish and that he liked feet. And he noted that. For who? For himself? For cover? I mean, he records everything and he tapes everything. No, it's to give it back to the agency. That's basically how it is. So what, what's incredible is, is that people are not seeing it. And here's the thing. They know that all of us were right. All of us talking about Pizzagate, all of us talking about these children going missing, all of us talking about human and child trafficking at the Southern border. All of us were right. And now, you know, they can't refute what we've been saying. They can't, you know, annihilate, you know, our statements, they can't push us into the deep end. They can't, they can't, they can't. And so what are they doing now? Yesterday, Yahoo, in a most insane way, when I was looking at trending, had retweeted and posted their article, guys, like over seven times. So if you went into the search thing, like the trending thing, it was only Yahoo articles about Seth Rich. So now they're like, oh, these conspiracy theorists, kind of like you heard them on camera when they were, uh, when I played it over the clip where they were like oh these QAnon conspiracy theories are going to have so much fun with this remember so here's how they knock your wind out they talk about what they talk about Seth Rich now let's talk about Seth Rich what have I told you about Seth Rich I've told you we all know he was murdered I've told you that he's the one that helped image the exchange server because there were other patriots that image exchange servers too now what happened did the FBI actually analyze and complete a forensic analysis of the server? No, they didn't. They got an image. They got a report from who? CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike did it. And remember how I told you, there was a young man who's Canadian that used to be Kazakhstani that was hired to do this. So what happened after they did this whole thing with the Seth Rich and creating the fake code and giving a report and saying it was the Russians, right? Because that's how they did it. They, they took it, they redid it, and they put footprints. That's what the little boy was very good at, changing footprints. So what did they do to that little boy in 2018? In 2017, they filed charges against this Canadian boy for making a whopping $104 from phishing emails from years ago and selling it to Russian, you know, military operatives. In other words, just guys that did their mandatory service, not really military operatives. And he made a whole $104. Wow, right? So this is what they did. 
CrowdStrike outsourced it to different people to make code or an, and to make it look like there was an infiltration and to create the code. And we already know from WikiLeaks by dropping the Vault 7 files and everything about the CIA that we have the technology to put footprints. I can make it look like you hacked my computer from your house right now. And I can provide a report that says so. But you can always tell when something's patched on. I mean, it's really good, right? But it's not that good. So the bottom line is the FBI never got the DNC server, right? I told you that. I said Roger Stone should fight it. He indicted Russians for hacking the DNC exchange server when they have no proof that the DNC exchange server has been hacked. How many times have I said if he fights it in court, they have to say how CrowdStrike didn't have a federal contract, wasn't an authorized forensics analysis firm. So ergo, it's gone because it's the equivalent of me taking your DNA sample, giving it to my neighbor next door, having him produce a report that says you're guilty because it was your DNA, even though it wasn't. And you have no way to prove it. How? Uh, well, the court will say, well, Story, you used your neighbor's DNA lab. You can't. You have to use the one that the government has assigned. Oh, well, then I lose my case, right? If I've charged you. This is the same thing here. Mueller used his own, used the report from a company that was paid by Hillary Clinton, by Podesta, by the DNC, by the Obama administration, ergo paid for by Perkins Coy, to create this supposed hack, make it look like it's Russian, and he just took their report as gospel. He didn't even say, well, you know, I don't care. We need the DNC servers over to the FBI. They never gave the servers to the FBI. Ever, ever, ever until today. So those Russians never hacked it. Period. End of story. I've been talking about this for months. You can go back and listen to me telling you how Roger Stone can't be held accountable for talking with WikiLeaks and saying, ergo, he's connected to the Russian government because the Russians never hacked it. It was always done locally by imaging and Mueller by Filing this kind of indictment against 12 or 14 or that number keeps changing Russian nationals and then sending that indictment to a division of the government just to die because nobody can enforce it is a farce and he should be held to the highest, you know, standard of just stick him in the brig, man. We need him to go through a military tribunal for everything he's done to our country. Now, on that note, I want to wish you guys all a fabulous evening. And stay tuned because there is a lot that's going to be coming out. Mm, it's going to be exciting. From all of us here at Red State, God bless. And I'll see you all tomorrow, same time, same place, 12 to 2 Eastern Time, only on Red State Talk Radio. Just to bury my kids right up to their necks.